0: He has to pay the iron price. Yeah, he has to pay the iron I price. I'll never respect you he lives, Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain a Hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm bound. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond, and my bond is my word. Valar de Harris, all men must serve. See, as a raven flies, and time slips by.
1: Welcome to the officially unofficial Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by the Bald Move Network. We cover HBO's Game of Thrones television series. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we are the podcast that was promised. And tonight we're talking about season four, episode four, Oathkeeper. Pretty excited about this one, Jim. As a show fan and a book fan,
0: what did you think? Uh, As a show fan only, I thought... It was good. It was good. I've really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that happened with uh, Jamie and Brienne. Uh, I even enjoyed some of the stuff that happened with Bran this time. It's Ooh. like uh, a little twist on it. Not so much magic-y, uh, A little more interesting.
1: Yeah, I was concerned with all the goings shenanigans up north if he would be... <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of, kind of, the pissed about that. I or...
0: didn't used to like Jon Snow as a character. He's changed a lot, and I mm-hmm. start to like him a lot more. Uh, yeah, he totally has made a kind of a badass leap in this season. Yeah, he's becoming a lot more like Rob, and I, I completely appreciated Rob as a character. He was so much better than his other brother. Um, so I was super happy to see that. Uh, and the brand stuff. Uh, yeah, he warped into his wolf, but. I felt like it was for a good purpose and I'm kind of getting comfortable with the idea of that a little bit more. Comfortable in your wolf skin, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I was happy to see all of that this time. All right. Stuff with Cersei and Jamie was interesting. I liked it. You know what? I think the viewing public
1: appreciate it because it got a record 6.9 million people watching it. Okay, this record for
0: Game of Thrones period?
1: I believe oh, god damn, you're going to ask me a question like that. <laughs> well, you said I record, so. I didn't I'm say. I for this season, <laughs> oh, I also okay. am, I am also fairly certain that it is a show record as well since wow. this season added I think a million viewers uh, to the last okay. season's high, but don't quote me on that. Uh directed by the great Michelle McLaren. Oh yeah. Well known for her action on this show and Breaking Bad and Walking Dead. And others, and written by Brian Cogman, Game of Thrones veteran. Uh, again, it's Oath Keeper. Shall we get right into the recap? I'm all for it. We open with Miss Sandy, who's uh, Danny's translator girl, teaching Grey Worm to speak and read the common tongue. What did you think of this scene, Jim?
0: Uh, it was interesting because it shows a part of their relationship that is growing. What Uh, is their
1: relationship? uh,
0: That's the thing that I'm really curious about. Uh, You can see kind of their hands on the table at the end of this scene, very, very close to one another. Uh, Doesn't feel like there's too much, like, sexual tension. I mean, the guy's a eunuch, for fuck's sake. Right. Uh, But there's something there, and I feel like it's mostly just this slave connection that they've Uh, had. Like, they've both been very – they've both been slaves most of their lives – Uh, She had, I guess, a little bit more of her childhood than he did. He's kind of always been unsullied. Well, I don't know if that's the case, or whether
1: the brutal training and kind of brainwashing Mm. that they put him through—like I couldn't remember. I, I don't think I don't know if he literally meant always unsullied. No, I think you're right. Or, you know, but I do know that they have they must take them fairly young.
0: Yeah. So, but she hasn't had that brutal training, right? I mean, she's just been a she's servant. just a garden
1: variety slave, and no, exactly. she hasn't yeah, had she's... her naughty bits cut off and be injected and and be forced to drink a poison that numbs her nerves and yeah, conditioned to feel no pain and be yeah. So <laughs> yeah, there's I think there's there's a slave training and then there's unsullied slave training mm-hmm. where you're just turned into an inhuman killing machine. Uh, I thought uh, it, I noticed that kind of you know hand dance on the table that he kind of kept creeping his hand towards hers and she kind of jerked her hand away. Hmm. Um but then at the end of the their hands were both on the table very close and I wasn't sure if that was just a continuity error or if yeah. that was a conscious choice because they never showed her putting it back up there in in a, as an insert.
0: A lot of close-ups though. A lot at of close-ups. Any close-up it could have been happening. But
1: uh he is intent on killing the masters. That's what's motivate him and it's a good thing too because Danny comes in at the end and says it's time. And next scene, we see a pretty badass shot. I mean, Michelle pulled out all the stops, shooting action. It's kind of non-action of a commando (laughs) unit of Unsullied infiltrating the cities Uh uh, as slaves, dressed up as slaves to arm a slave rebellion. Apparently, there's three slaves, every one master in the city. I kind of thought that was low. I figured in a slave city, it would be much higher.
0: I did too, yeah. But still, three to one advantage. Uh, so, we know that this city is supposed to have 200,000 slaves, right? I don't know is that that's a number that was quoted. I know I that they it said was.
1: it took 2,000 slaves to build the Great Pyramid. Mm, okay. It cost the lives of 2,000 slaves to build the Great Pyramid, hmm. which is the big, big fucking thing in the middle.
0: I th- for some reason, the number 200,000 is floating around my head, and I'm not sure why. Okay. But that would mean that there are, you know, not that many people in this city. I guess, well... By the time, the standards of the time, I guess that would be a pretty large city. Uh, It just seems like we never got a glimpse of a city that was that big. I mean, we see the city itself and kind of the walls and how big the city must be. But I was super disappointed that we didn't get any kind of shot of the slaves revolting. I mean, all we get is this tiny little corridor with them killing one master. And I wanted a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue that point, man, um, and I, like I said in the the instant take, that's something that kind of Martin himself does. It feels like he, I don't know whether he just doesn't feel like he's good at writing action, or he's genuinely bored with the you know, minutiae of it, but he time and time again ends the the chapter right as something badass is about to happen, and then comes back several chapters later to deal with the aftermath.
0: I think it's very different when you're ending chapters and you're going on. If they had cut to another That's scene true. and come back and shown this, I might not have had a problem, but they went like from that scene right to her being greeted by the slaves at the gates right on the steps. And I was just like, I wanted to see some kind of transition there.
1: No, I, I think you... I liked your idea if they slowly pan up and you just see this slave revolt happening all over the city, and maybe they could have yeah. pulled that off with a little bit of CGI, but Mm-hmm. you know they they do what they do uh the next day we see a master walking through the city with armed guard. He looks up and sees Danny's sigil hand, uh, hanging off of the the great i don't know harpy mm-hmm. on the big pyramid, and his guard pieces out and a bunch of slaves stab him to death. yep next scene as you allude to the uh slaves are all free. Now, something we talked about last year on the Now Defunct Night's Watch podcast was the idea of this white savior complex. Mm, yeah. I noticed a crowd decidedly less brown this year. A little bit more mm. uh, multicultural. Okay. did I don't think it took anything away from the scene. And I think it was a conscious effort for them to address some of the perceived and actual racial sensit- insensitivities that they were showing there. At any rate, uh, I also like the fact that they. Um, it seems like the slaves were the keys of their own freedom. It wasn't Danny coming in and saving them, and her doing this big victory crowd surf is more. Uh, hey, we're giving you the tools, but you're gonna have to do it yourself, brothers, and hmm. then we'll support you. So I think those two subtle changes did. A to me, I thought it was it was progress on the writer's part of addressing some of those complaints. Okay. Um what now the other thing I want to talk to you about is Danny's vengeance. Do you think she had the right of it or do you think uh, Sir Barriston had the right that she should have answered injustice with mercy?
0: Uh I think the thing you want to do here is ask those former slaves what they wanted. And I feel like all of them would have replied justice. Uh so I think she was perfectly in the right. To dispense justice instead of mercy.
1: The only thing is, is I, I am I have a hard time criticizing her nailing up these guys on crosses, at least 163 of them. Mm -hmm. However, she chooses it appears to govern the city as a whole. Like that's what Selmy said. You're going to have to govern all these people. Um, If she's going to do that, why not kill all the masters? Why just 163? I mean, because I... Just... That's
0: weird, because I was under the impression that she was going to kill them. There's nothing that says that she is uh, there, but for some reason I got the idea that she was going to kill them all, but she was just nailing up 163. Oh. Uh, but but you might be right. Maybe she's not killing all the masters.
1: I thought I saw a bunch of glum-looking masters in the background. You might have been right. When yeah. she's kind of overlooking the city and seeing the, what she brought. Um... But I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they will end up killing them all. If they not, though, um, I just don't understand why. If she's plans to kill them all, why Selmy would say that?
0: Yeah, good point.
1: Because I'm, I agree. But I think the slaves would be uh, clamoring for the justice that she's bringing.
0: Yeah, I. The problem with mercy here is that nobody learns anything. Mm. You can't just forgive everything that they've done, right? You right. have to set an example if you want these other people that you've got to govern to take anything away from it. It's yeah. it's like when the financial meltdown happened. You can't just say, well, here's a bunch of money to fix it, and yeah. we're not going to throw anybody in jail. Just keep going on. Just don't do it again. That yeah. doesn't teach anybody anything.
1: It's tough because you never can tell. I mean, for every time that like a brutal crackdown has cowed a population into mm-hmm. accepting a new regime, there's also where a brutal cro- crackdown uh, backfires and hardens a population and you get decades of rebellion resistance and, and real history and in fiction. So it's almost one of those things where, you know, it's something that people judge in hindsight. And it depends sure. on the individual culture and population and, and the su- numerical and military superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been into a lot of history of late, primarily because of uh the green brothers crash courses and the uh, dan carlins uh hardcore history and it just seems like you know for every example of brutal occupation working there's another one that says you know winning hearts and minds more machiavellian is the way to go so... yeah this
0: is weird though it's not an occupation i mean what she did is she came in and she set things right in my opinion in the city mhm uh it's It would be different if she rolled in and said, "Okay, everybody belongs to me now right on
1: uh let's move on to Bron and jamie uh you mentioned when we were watching this together that the the something a little off on the c g of Danny's great t- being on the top of the great pyramid. we both yeah. agree to that. Then we go to the joys of having a real set <laughs> where they're fighting here and their little their little beach hideouts mm-hmm. uh and it looks gorgeous braun knocks Jamie on his ass with his own hand. what do you think uh
0: what do I think about their fighting? Uh, just a I think Jamie's general. getting better it I does think
1: look like he's he's putting braun a little bit more to the test
0: yep and braun has to resort basically to cheating I mean kind of right I mean in a fight for life or death, you're gonna pull certainly. his hand off and smack him with it
1: certainly and I I don't know what I was supposed to think there. If I'm supposed to think that Jamie was really pushing Braun to the point where he had to resort to dirty tra- tactics to win, or whether because I got just from looking at Jerome Flynn's face that he wasn't especially taxed. Yeah. Um. You know, Jamie wasn't as uh, blatantly incompetent as he was before, but this was almost like an object lesson. hmm Um. That you know it's like okay, well you're gotten a little proficiency, but now I want to teach you some of my. You know, I I don't want you, I want you to fight like a knight. I also want to slip some of my brawn down and dirty fighting. Yeah,
0: and he's going to need every trick he can get now that he's one handed.
1: One might say that he might not want to go into battle with that
0: pretty looking hand (laughs) if it could be so
1: easily snatched and smacked across his face with it. Uh, The other important thing is Braun doesn't believe that Tyrion killed uh, his nephew. And the other nice character moment about uh, him pointing out that you were Tyrion's first choice as defender. Cause he knew that you would ride night and day to come defend him. Yeah. Uh, are you, you know, are you still going to f- be that passionate about fighting with him? We also found out that uh, however much time has elapsed, Jamie still hasn't seen Tyrion yet.
0: Yeah, true. So that I, li- I-, I like the moment in the scene where he says he hated that little twat, but who didn't. Right. He doesn't know he's talking about his son there. Like he knows it's a family member, but not such a direct family member, <laughs> right?
1: Do you think if he did, he would still? He, I don't think he would have changed. You're right, yeah, he'd just have been like, he's a he did a bad <laughs> job of raising him, Kingslayer. Yeah, um, so that obviously sprung Jamie's uh, guilty conscience into motion because next scene he's visiting his brother in a cell, uh, the Kingslayer brothers, uh, as Tyrion mentions it. We learned a lot of things here. Um, you know, what did you make of Tyrion? What did you make of this conundrum about Tyrion wanting him to set him free and Jaime saying no?
0: <laughs> I think Jaime's right in this situation. I mean, he'd have to flee with him. The, Jaime couldn't stick around and be part of the King's Guard and be close to Cersei and be with his kid. You know, he's he'd have to leave. But as he points out, it's like, well, I hate for you to do something
1: inappropriate, like <laughs> sure. push a kid out a window. Have or sex with your
0: sister. Have
1: sex with your sister or kill your former king uh-huh. or in, in any one of the many things that they've done that, that he knows that he's done. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think you're right. Jamie's just not ready to make that leap. He's yeah. not. I mean, he's ready to defy his brother but or his father, but. The relationship there with Cersei is, you know, something that's kind of in flux and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh we found out Cersei's offering a knighthood for anyone that brings for Sansa's head. Mm-hmm. Which makes for a nice transition to Sansa being at sea with Littlefinger. Could we have Sir Littlefinger in the future? Sir Littlefinger. <laughs> uh do you think that Littlefinger's no. capable of that?
0: I, I don't think he would. There's something, some connection between Catelyn and Sansa and Littlefinger that. Let's
1: talk about that. So Littlefinger basically gives her a lesson on treachery and scheming, mm-hmm. uh, and he beats the poisoning of Joffrey plot line into the ground. Oh yeah. What What do you think he wants here, as far as for, in, in two ways? What do you think he wants out of Sansa? Sansa, what do you think he wants out of the? Seven kingdoms.
0: Oh, that's okay. Yeah, where where is this kind of? Why is he gaining influence with Elena? Right. Uh, what's his end game? I'm honestly not sure there. I know, I mean, Littlefinger views his position as one of power, uh, and I assume he's trying to acquire more of that. How I'm not exactly certain. I don't know how you get from Lannisters at King's Landing to any kind of. Tyrell at King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Marjorie's going to be queen, but what does that help him? Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure where that that plot is going. I mean, he's... I don't, I don't know that I'm supposed to know at this he's point. He's one of the poorest uh, lords,
1: minor houses, from one of the poorest regions of Westeros, this rocky uh, piece of coastline called the Fingers. Mm-hmm. Owning heron Hall, which is you know a, a massive land holding and also massive as far as tax generation generation and being you know master of coin or whatever uh, other position that's already so ambitious from where he started uh-huh. do you think he wants to be like one of the wardens of the you know north south west whatever do you think he huh. do you think do you think that he thinks he can sit on the iron throne
0: oh I I don't get that vibe from him, no, and I don't know that he even would want that. It's too much of an overt position. Like he wants to kind of be in the shadows a little bit. I think that's how he always operates, and I think he's best there. Do you think he would right,
1: like to be the sole power behind a puppet king?
0: Yes, I do think he would like to have. So he doesn't want to be a on the Iron on Veroen, his lap, yeah. but
1: he wants to be the de facto ruler of Westeros.
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: Wow. <laughs> that is that is pretty fucking ambitious sure uh so did you get a creepy vibe off his relationship or his advances toward sansa no no i didn't i got a little creepy vibe okay <laughs> uh but he just i mean it's nothing overt it. he just kind of put his hands on her shoulder but it's in the context of him saying he wants everything Mm. That's is, the creepy part is is what I didn't like uh, or what kind of put my creeper creeper radar uh on standby on high alert
0: rather. Um so anything else on the scene should we move on? I just want to say it's super obvious to me that looking back at the purple wedding people who called this had book spoilers. Why? I don't think you look at that screen and you ever notice that tiny tiny thing out of place. I'm not saying these people had actually read the books and knew it, but they probably saw something on Reddit or passed around in a, a graphic created by somebody who did have book spoilers. Because It's just such a minor thing. I don't know how you ever put those pieces together. I I would agree,
1: and except for I've seen firsthand how people the day after uh, Meat Eating Man frisked Jesse... <laughs> were able to detect that and break it down and correctly do something that we didn't find out for another season and a half.
0: No, that's true. So yeah. it's like,
1: there are people that uh, could be that clever, and the stuff was all there. It wasn't even that clever yeah. of sleight of hand, and you know the jewel was obviously missing. It, but you say obviously. It's obviously if you look for it. But that's true of it's... anything. She's This woman is fucking around with Sansa's hair and necklace. Uh huh. And then if if you're too slow and you hadn't got it yet, the next scene with Elena, she basically pantomimes the whole thing again with Marjorie. Yeah. So you can see exactly how it happened. Um. Yeah. I don't know. That's why I put all that stuff at the tail end of the cast so people could bail because I I can't guarantee sure that this stuff is just I, it was all there, mm-hmm. but also I can't guarantee. Yeah.
0: I got a little spoiled by it. It was unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Um. So what do you think? Um, is this complete case closed? Do you believe the the other thing that I've always wondered you know with unreliable narrators and all that, do you think that uh it's possible that Peter is kind of puffing up his importance in
0: all this uh no i don't I don't see how this trail doesn't lead directly back to him. I mean with what's his name uh the fool Dantas. Yeah, Sir Dantos. I... Donatos. <laughs> he absolutely leads right back to Littlefinger.
1: Okay. Uh, speaking of moving on to the next scene, we got Elena and Marjorie. Uh, we had, heard the story about how Elena was once upon, a time, once upon a time betrothed to Targaryen. Uh, she thought she could do better. So she went to the guy that her sister was betrothed to and fucked him so good. <laughs> I was good.
0: I was real good.
1: That the guy couldn't get get uh, broke off the engagement with his her sister and went after her instead and mm-hmm. she kind of encourages Marjorie to get in good with the new king before the queen regent can put her off. Yeah. But Apparently Cersei, she doesn't think Cersei's above uh, manipulating a young child to hate a person for no good reason.
0: She's right on track then. <laughs> um,
1: do you have anything else to talk about? Do you think this is the last we see of Lady Olenna? No, I don't. All right. She apparently is leaving King's Landing, though. Okay. So, and again, I thought uh, the whole grabbing the net, you know, Marjorie said, I, my mother, I don't understand. What yeah. are you talking about? As she's grabbing a necklace. I'm like, wow, this is a little, little on the it nose. It was too much.
0: And then they had a video on the exploring, whatever the viewer guide right. is on HBO of George R. R. Martin sitting there for a good five minutes explaining what we just saw eight times in the last two episodes. Yeah, it's l- like literally a three why? sequence,
1: a, a three sequence graphic on imager <laughs> is enough yeah, for even particularly thick witted people to understand. Oh, I see what happened there. Yeah, it was. It's a little bit of beating the dead horse, but mm-hmm. uh, at the risk of doing so ourselves, we'll move on. See up at the wall, John Snow's practicing with his sworn brothers. He's teaching them how to disarm wildlings because you know that's just what it's. It. I felt like it's a little bit of that the uh, uh, kendo from Napoleon Dynamite. It's like come at me this way. <laughs> There's your sword god. Look how easy it is. Now you do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, finding locks already at the wall. He's headed. He's he's hoofed it from the dread fort all the way there. Surprising. Tears a dude up. Like goes through that like wet toilet paper. Uh, Sir Alistair comes out. Finds uh John Stewart overstepping his role as Stewart. Gets pissed off. Tells him to go find a chamber pot to first piss in, then dump over his own head. <laughs> Uh, John gets all in his face and he's like, give me an excuse to fucking kill you. Um, however, what did you make of, uh, Slint's advice? A little bald-headed fuck from King's Landing.
0: Uh, I don't remember his advice. What was
1: his advice? John Snow's popular. John Snow's popular? Popular with his brothers.
0: Oh, 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 the, the guy who was saying maybe you should reconsider his, uh, him going up to the Craster's. Uh, I think, I think he's hoping, I mean, obviously he's hoping that John will just get killed by these guys right, up there, but it seems so ridiculous at this point to me that the Night's Watch is even allowed to continue to exist, because they're obviously working against the interests of the Seven Kingdoms. I mean, the, the winter is coming, we've got the White Walkers, we've got, uh, what's his nuts with a 100,000 troops coming down. Mm-hmm. Mansurator. they know they know they are fucked even with every single guy they have right and now they're sent, they're hoping that half of their troops will go north and get killed
1: well i don't think that they think that Jon snow would have as many people that they do so your position is sir Alistair thorne is a selfish asshole that cares nothing <laughs> for the night's watch nor the realm is that is that an objectionable position I don't know. It's something I've wondered myself. It seems to be very clearly showed to I us. think Jano Slint does not take anything up here serious.
0: Okay, I buy that.
1: Um, I think it's possible, if I'm charitably interpreting his character, that he thinks Jon Snow is a reckless, arrogant young pup that will get many, 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 many men more, more men killed if he's allowed to raise uh, to a leadership position. Yeah, yeah. Where his more cynical, pragmatic view... Would end up, you know, saving
0: the day. Maybe so, but it's shocking to me that he would send anyone away at this point.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, or or
0: even the, that's the he problem. knows he's a good swordsman. Allow him to train people at
1: least. That's the problem when you have a organization like the Night's Watch has fallen so low, where you know a guy like you know he's a knight. Why is he there in the first place? Probably because he did something wrong. Yeah um he 's probably bitter about it, and he 's just kind of relatively high born guy that 's dealing with all these rapists and horse thieves it's yeah you know it 's something that it 's hard to not be bitter about it in fact, that was john snow 's first reaction if it hadn 't been for Tyrion kind of taking him aside and being like hey don 't be such an asshole yeah uh you know think consider these people 's position no one you know he didn 't have a Tyrion to take him around and slap some sense into him, <laughs> so that 's anyway my uh my uh two cents on that. what did you think about Locke siding siding up to John? John seems like mm, yeah. He likes this guy,
0: likes this story. They're setting him up to get stabbed in the back, possibly literally. Just like Praster. <laughs> or just like uh who, Gior. Yeah, who's the skull they're drinking out of? Gior. Uh possibly literally. I really think they're setting up Jon Snow and Locke for a fight. Like a I was gonna say hand to hand, but sword to sword. Fight. They're both very, very competent, and I think they're making a point of that now so that later we'll know when they fight.
1: All right. Interesting take. Let's move on to south into King's Landing again where we find Cersei in her cups. She has summoned the uh, commander of the Kingsguard, her brother, to come before her to inquire about the security provisions for the king probably spend a lot of time on this scene because mm-hmm. there's a lot of implications from last week and going forward we saw and again i'm not interested in debating it at this point okay jamie raped his sister last week yep regardless of what happened in the books regards your personal feelings that's the bald move position um do you think that this scene is a fair depiction of how a woman in Cersei's position would react to that provocation? Or do you think that this indicates the showrunners completely bungled the scene from last week? Or do you think their answer lies? I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, straight jacket unit two answers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, we did kind of the ABC in the instant cast and I I still fall somewhere between B and A.
1: A is, um, you know, they did make, that uh, you know, there was an unambiguous rape. They intended to be an unambiguous rape. They were saying a bunch of shit in the press to kind of, like, you know, keep things spoiler free. Mm. And that the relationship to Jamie and, and Cersei will progress from that position. B is that they fucked up. They wanted to, to show something that was forceful and uncomfortable to watch, but ultimately consensual and make that point. Uh, and that we just have to scratch our heads and be like, well, they fucked up. C is they fucked it up so bad that they are going to fundamentally destroy, the for many people, the character of Jaime and possibly Cersei. And that whole arc is going to be unenjoyable for people. Um, where Where do you think this comes down for you?
0: Well, I mean, based on what I see in this episode and with modern sensibilities, I don't see a woman reacting like that unlike Cersei does in this episode unless it was it was supposed to be a little more consensual than I first thought it was which is why I'm closer to B than A it's interesting cuz if i can use another
1: piece of pop culture to analyze this piece of pop culture okay do you remember when Joan from Mad Men got raped by her fiance yeah. at the office mm-hmm. she still married the guy she still went through and played the kind of you know loyal wife uh, tried to make things work. Years later, when things kind of disintegrated for other reasons, she threw that in his face as like, "I remember what you did to me, and I know what kind of man you are."
0: Yeah, clearly
1: showing that maybe she wasn't ready to accept it. Maybe because of the the time, uh, you know, in the mid '60s, a woman being, you know, did did Joan buy that a woman, and you know, could she be raped by her fiance? Could that truly be non consensual? There's a lot of Fucked up things to consider. Mm-hmm. Cersei and Westeros were kind of, you know, rape is seen dis in in mild distaste by highborn, kind of like the equivalent of peeing in a sink. Yeah. Okay. It's it's yeah, it's something a, a gentleman shouldn't do, but you know, shit happens. Sure, sure. Do you th- is it possible that she could not in that setting be confused uh, on to how she really feels about that situation?
0: Yeah, I suppose it's possible, but. You know, going
1: back to the Joan thing, I don't. I guess I, even if Cersei views herself as being f- uh, raped and and this was completely non consensual, I think the f- the frostiness progression of their relationship could be entirely within that that context and that character. Am I?
0: Yeah. No. I th- I think you're right. I mean, there's there. <sighs> she just didn't seem extra frosty this episode. No more so than she was last episode. I mean she was yeah she kissed him but then she withdrew and she was using that to manipulate him and well just like when they open the scene he's like your grace and she's she kind of got
1: this twisted look on her face she says how formal Mm -hmm. like you know that's you know you're being you know using this courtesy and this thing but then last episode you raped me I could read into that
0: yeah yeah that's true
1: I don't know Mm -hmm. like I said it's one of those things where I'm a lot more in between A and B um, I will say that I'm a lot more on Cersei, A and B, a lot more Jamie between B and C because his behavior mm. is completely, uh, I was expecting him to be a little bit more haunted. Yeah. Uh, because unless, except for the times he was interacting with Cersei, he was back to being good Jamie.
0: Sure. And the stuff with Brienne is, is completely juxtaposed against what happened last episode. You would, you would think you would feel a little more guilt.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little little jarring to see that Jamie juxtaposed with last week's Jamie.
0: I agree, and we talked about you know one week Jamie versus the second week Jamie versus the third week Jamie. They change back and forth, mm-hmm. and it it's starting to feel a little weird. Yeah, I know. There's yeah, you know,
1: I got a lot of emails on this, and I'm not going to read the majority of them. Uh, but you know, some people made the point of you know this is. Uh, you know, Jamie's murdered his cousin. Jamie tried to kill Bran. You know, why is this the unfavorable thing? And, you know, I'm not one that says that rape is the worst crime someone can commit. You know, murders right up there, <laughs> genocide, <laughs> uh, inf- infanticide. I mean, it's not like it's, it holds a crown of, oh, this is worse and you can't show it on television. I'm not that kind of viewer. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a difference in that. All those things happen pre Jamie's losing his hand, which is supposed to kick in this redemption arc sure. and and you know uh, him kind of winning Brienne over and to throw that into the middle of this mix, I think muddies the waters in an unfortunate way for his character.
0: Yeah, I not agree. fatally I could agree so with that. far,
1: but it it is a pretty sour note. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about? No, I'm okay. So basically the content of the scene other than what we talked about was that she wanted she's pissed that he went to go see Tyrion and is kind of sticking up for him and that she, he wouldn't be willing to go out and get Sansa's head for her.
0: Yeah, and she also I guess blames him somewhat for Joffrey's death as well because he wasn't protecting Joffrey. He's only got one guard on Tommen at the moment. She doesn't see that as enough. Potentially valid points. Uh zero guards on Tommen as far as I can tell based on Marjorie's scene. Yeah. <laughs> Um,
1: that's a little odd. Uh, I, I, I do, I, I, it does seem like maybe one guard on the king when his life, an attempt was just made on his life. Yeah. Is a little bit foolhardy. I agree. Especially since, as uh, Jamie as the Lord Commander doesn't believe his brother did it. So he's got the wrong man in prison. Yeah. The killer
0: is still <laughs> loose. At large. Yeah.
1: Um, so speaking of the king, Tommen's having trouble sleeping in Joff's old room. You know he's got the the pig with the bolt through his eye, yeah, um he hears some noises, you know maybe he's a little afraid for his life. He hears some noises. It's Marjorie. She's come to his room to get to know her future husband a little bit better. uh,
0: what do you think about this? I'm just staring at you wide eyed right now like Tom and was. <laughs> his oh my eyes God, so wide, yeah, he was having the time of his life uh like we said in the instant cash, she just sealed the deal. Yeah, uh, as far as where Tom's loyalties lie, in a fairly chaste way. Yeah, a kiss on the forehead. And this—I mean, she implied a lot,
1: but yeah, this kid's like you know twelve, thirteen. Uh-huh. Um, there's—he just there's just no way. There's no way he's not going to completely be wrapped around her little finger at this point. Yep. Um, especially since she's so different from his mom and very different from Joffrey, which found out the motherfucker tried to kill, you know, threaten to kill. Well, actually, we saw that in the show. Threaten to kill uh, the kid's cat and feed him to him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we covered this pretty well in the instant cast. Um, I do think it, it is a little bullshit that she just got past the Kingsguard.
0: That's the thing. I don't think there is one. At There's the door. got
1: to be. What I is think that? he fell
0: asleep or something. Okay. He's so off taking a piss.
1: What does that... T- oh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> so you just assume that Jamie put a man there, and that man's not there. Yes. What the hell does that say about the guard? <laughs> it says they're pretty sloppy. And I mean... So I, you don't think that this is Marjorie being like super ninja or having some kind of... I don't
0: know how you walk in the front door unless it didn't feel like she's popping out of a secret passage no, either no she walked right in the front door to his chambers i think she either talked her way in which okay maybe i could see that or the, or the guard is asleep or just doesn't care
1: yeah the thing is if she if she sweet talked her way past that seems unnecessarily risky for her because i think that she's trying to tell tom and like this is our little secret mm-hmm. um she's Got to be somewhat careful, because Cersei could just fly into a rage and cut her head off, I would think. I think so, yeah. So it would seem to be very foolhardy to just try to sweet-talk a Kingsguard, who has questionable loyalties.
0: <laughs> Which is why I think he's not there.
1: All right, interesting. I didn't, I didn't get that. Uh, I thought the Double D's wisely cut away before uh, the young king could start... Uh... <laughs>
0: Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Where are we going here?
1: <laughs> gonna put another gonna put another shot into the pig's eye. <laughs> uh oh, wow. next scene, it's in the Lord Commander's quarters. Brienne's looking at, at the book. It's just people never get tired of rubbing Jamie's face into the fact that his 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 sole entry into the Night's Watch holy tome is him being a total shit. Uh but uh Jamie's like hey uh got this sweet ass sword going to give it to you got this sweet ass yeah. armor going to give it to you got uh, this
0: sweet ass uh Podrick, I'm going to give it to got you got sweet ass
1: pod uh you don't even know how sweet his ass is yet Oh
0: yeah uh, is she going to
1: find out we will find uh, we we'll, we'll see <laughs> uh Pod's axe versus her oathkeeper Oh god um <laughs> I you know shit you've completely derailed me Sorry this I joke, but this was a great scene. It's mm-hmm. undercut by the uh, all the controversy and just the poor filmmaking uh, that went on last week. Um, but it was still, despite all that, effective because there's a lot of chemistry, and I don't know what that chemistry is, but there's a lot of chemistry between Gwendolyn Christie and uh, Nikolai here. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the mission he sent her on to go find Sansa? We know we're in the weird position of she's being sent on a mystery quest and we know kind of more about that than she does. What do you think about that as a viewer? Uh,
0: I'm okay with that. I always feel like it's better to know more of what's going on than your characters.
1: So you like being omniscient and just, you know... Kind of, yeah. Kind of seeing the chessboard
0: move. Yeah, and that I mean, that comes with like... I guess it's maybe one of the reasons I don't like procedurals very much is because you never know until the very end. It's like I like to watch the drama unfold and when I can see that people are making incorrect decisions based on, you know, partial information, that's interesting to me. It's not it's not something where I slap my head and say that character's so dumb, they're making the decision they they're gonna make based on the info they have.
1: Where does this quest take Brienne? Where where is
0: where is she going? Does she have any idea where to start on this? I don't know. Does she? Not as far as I can tell. I. <laughs> where is she going to go? I have no idea. That's a very good question. Uh, so she does she even know that Sansa left with Dantos? Did anybody see that? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I mean, if I I gotta say I would not know where to start. But if Jamie gives me a sword and some armor and Podrick, I would probably go after Sansa, too. All right. But uh, I wouldn't know where to start.
1: Do you think uh, Do you think the her and Jamie story is
0: over? Oh, no. No, no, no. I think they've got a lot more story to tell.
1: Uh, of course, the episode gets its name from the name that she uh, gives the sword that Jamie uh, gives her, Oathkeeper. That seems to both touch him. I mean, they both had... Big fucking lumps when they're saying their goodbyes to each other. <laughs> uh, the size of which only uh, rivaled by the shit-eating grin that Podrick had when he found out that he was going to not escape the city in disgrace, but actually be assigned to a proper... Well, I mean, she's not really a knight. As he says, like she's not a sir, she's a my lady. Yeah. But still, seems like, uh, you know, as much as he was loyal to Tyrion, Tyrion is no true knight. Oh no! If you want Not to be a squire all. for you know a, a a knight, Brienne is is much more to your to your liking.
0: Uh, yeah, I I like the name that she gives this sword because it says so much about her as a person, and and sword names always do. I know that's a fairly obvious point, right? But when you contrast Oathkeeper with Widow's Whale, right. I, Which we just saw a couple episodes ago, I I just really like the value shown in in Brienne based on her sword name.
1: Yeah, and I like the symbolism between the at least the the greater half of Ned's the sword that uh, was stripped from Ned Stark and melted down is going to go to defend the last of his girls. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one of the things that's that's great about that that scene with her uh, and Jamie uh shall we move on
0: there's one other thing in the scene okay at the very end when they're about to take off you can see podrick bend down and give (laughs) brienne a foothold to get up on a horse she can just step over the thing and sit down it's like
1: she can basically you know whistle and have the horse ride underneath (laughs) her legs and she just kind of pops a squat and takes off was crazy yeah the fact that pod could in any way help her get onto a horse was pretty i thought was also funny too yep uh, we go back up north to the wall, Sam is really beating himself over, over his decision to send Gilly to Molestown, he's basically saying everything that we were pointing out as the scene was happening last week, it's like, yeah, uh-huh. not the greatest idea, bunch of fucking thieves and robbers and rapists down there, she's hanging out with whores, the wildlings are marching down there, this is just a terrible idea, John. <laughs> uh, we find out also that John knows about his brother being alive.
0: Mm-hmm presumably sam told him
1: and the do you okay so do you think this gives add an impetus for his urgency to get back to craster's keep because he's identified all the other wildly wildling villages will be empty except for this one mm-hmm. and that's a likely place for his brother to kind of make for do you think that uh that how much of it is john wanting to go up there and kill the deserters to preserve you know the, the black brotherhood and to get ju- justice for Gior and how much of it is it to hopefully find his brother.
0: I want to say it's like a hundred percent him wanting to go up to get, uh, to try and save the realm. Uh, but there's then the added bonus, like he was okay. going to go up there anyway. So he's now whole he's like, soul. Oh fucking sweet. Now my brother's up there it, too.
1: It, it, it's like, yeah, you know, he's whole soul. His whole is the cake. The brand is the frosting. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like that. Uh, so we see that Sir Alistair has considered, uh, Janos Slint's words and his sanctioning John's ranging to Craster's, but he can only take volunteers. So he gives a barn-burning speech about you know their better judgment, about preserving their secret about how big their force is and preserving their secrets of the Night's Watch for their defenses, mm-hmm. and also their personal loyalty to Mormon. Gets about a half dozen people. Yeah, uh, I know you probably don't recognize many of them, but... Uh... Uh,
0: I recognize a couple of them as kind of his long-term... Buds like Grin, uh, yeah. Dolores
1: Ed's the one who's always got the smart ass, uh, laconic observations, <laughs> and Locke, yeah, the the, ba- the the other bastard from uh, the Dreadforth. He's not even a recruit, but he's willing to say his vows and go up there with John. Yep. Um, uh, what do you think about that? That's just more grist for your theory of them coming to heads, right? Yeah, they
0: I figure at this point they have to. All right, w- what other purpose does that serve? I don't know.
1: Speaking of bastards, we go up to Craster's Keep, and Carl, who is supposedly an ace sellsword slash assassin from Gin Alley, one of the shittier parts of King's Landing, which is saying something, (laughs) is drinking wine from the skull of Jor Mormont and having himself a good old time.
0: Yeah, how do they do that? How do you drink wine out of a skull that is obviously going to have a hole in the base of it? I assume that you, like, coat it with wax?
1: And or, okay. and maybe you bronze the inside. Hmm. Um but yeah, you can't I don't think you literally can drink wine from someone's brain pan.
0: No, I mean the the brain stem alone comes down through the skull. It has to. But
1: does it does it actually have a hole there? I mean, yeah, I guess it doesn't would have or to to the, get to your the, spinal the, column, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um it's wireless it's Wi Fi. <laughs> wi Fi brains. Yeah. You yeah. can go through like an inch of skull, the spinal column to the um I am not a medical doctor. All right. Don't even play one on TV. Uh, let's talk about this scene. I don't buy this guy as a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that intentional, or is this a complete failure of casting?
0: I I think he's supposed to be intimidating. Really? And, and I feel like at points he is. It's just a matter to me of him. I mean, he's much. He's not a huge guy. So he's got that working against him. He's also very drunk in this scene, and it's very apparent. Uh, And he just doesn't seem very formidable looking at him. And the things he says make him sound, I guess, like a badass, but they also make him sound pathetic, like he's bragging about his glory days, and those are way behind him. Right. So nothing he does or is in this scene is very intimidating to me. What do you think about... Rast, who is
1: kind of the the chubby one uh-huh. that he completely cows in this episode, I think it's it's interesting that he's kind of become the new Sam. Yeah, that he tormented Sam, you know, Sir Piggy for not being able to keep up and for being a, a useless set. But he's kind of that now in this mutinous band of uh, former former Night's Watchmen.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of an unfortunate pay it forward attitude. I think he is usually that guy mm. in the group. And then once you get a Sam in the group, it's much easier for him to mm. get on the other side of it. See, now he's he's re- reverting to his natural role here,
1: and he does seem to be just a real a, a bastard. I mean, everyone yeah. up here is <laughs> the scum of the earth. <laughs> yes, it's just it's it's terrible. There's not a single one of them that's not a complete shit. Um, we see Craster's wife come in with a male baby. It's the last of his uh, children. And the women start chanting gift to the gods. Uh, he sends pig face, uh, Carl sends pig face out to offer it up. Um, kind of an uncomfortable scene of him trudging out there and leaving a naked baby in the cold for way too long. But you know what? It's, it's not real people. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced. I tell myself that's a prosthetic baby. <laughs> prosthetic. No babies were harmed in the making of this film. As opposed to
0: fake snow. It's easier to make a prosthetic baby than fake snow. Even
1: if fake snow, they fucking left the baby on a dark set and let it scream its head off for 30 seconds. I don't think that's...
0: <laughs> you know... I, there are some theories about parenting, where you're supposed to just leave your baby in the crib, let it cry itself out. <laughs> so they're setting the baby down for the
1: night, and that was actually their parents, and then they just walk away and let it cry itself to sleep so they could film that scene. Okay, yeah, that sure. makes me feel better. <laughs> uh, we see... Uh, he's also sent out there to feed ghost um ghost is why do they have ghost caged up i don't know should
0: how I, did, should they, i know that how did they cage up ghost no i'm asking <sighs> you a question yeah yeah uh i don't so i mean where did Jon snow and ghost get separated uh when he went
1: uh north with uh the half hand and got mixed up with the wild okay. ones they haven't been together since then.
0: Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, have they met Craster? Is it something where they found him and took him to Craster's Keep, uh, and then caged him I up think there, stayed, or was I he think at? He,
1: I think he stayed with Sam and and all those guys. I just don't. Rem- I honestly don't remember myself. I know he was at
0: Craster's Keep once, but I can't remember if they, he had ghosts.
1: Uh, maybe Cra- that was a condition that Craster had that he had to stay tied up. Could be. Um, so Could they be. just. But why are they? Why are they keeping him and feeding him? They're bitching about mouths to feed, and yeah, I get it. They're they're feeding him pigs' feet and pigs' faces, but still, that's food when winter's coming. I, yeah, that's true. It seems mighty convenient. They're just keeping ghosts up there.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: And I was wondering if you had any. I have thoughts no about, insight on that. Okay. Huh? All right. Well, then we're both kind of confused. <laughs> Uh, We see the groundwater freezing because that's what happens when the White Walkers come. Apparently that baby's gotten tooken, Liam Neeson's style. <laughs> uh We see Bran and company. John had a hell of a hunch. They're camping very close to Craster's Keep because they hear that baby crying. Mm-hmm. Get a little warging action, which I'm sure was exciting for you. I actually th- thought the effect of Bran's eyes going white and then that same kind of effect happening to summer was yeah. pretty cool. Uh also, so they sent out Summer to kind of go explore what it is, which is pretty smart. But uh, Summer sees his brother Ghost and then falls into a trap. Mm-hmm. Um, then things kind of go to shit because they, the, the Brand, and them go to, to figure out what's going on. They see the mutineers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they get captured. Hodor gets chained up and speared. It's just a shit show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't have. I mean, this is all very straightforward, right? There will there will be an accounting for the crime of chaining Hodor and spearing him in the leg. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. Yeah, he seems to be a, a fan favorite.
1: Um, did you notice the Jojen, which is the uh uh the other boy that's uh, or the uh, the only boy that's traveling with uh, Bran? Mm-hmm. Look, looking like total shit. He looks very sick. Yeah, he looks like he's got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel.
0: Yeah, and I don't. When he falls over at the end and starts convulsing and foam starts coming out of his mouth, I don't know that he's having a vision there. It feels more like he's just very, very sick. Out? All right. Yeah. Just, he
1: could be doing both, but yeah. Possibly. It definitely seems like it's, uh... He's got, like, especially when dark he's so rings weak. around his eyes, oh, yeah. and
0: he's green. He's... Ugh. He looks terrible. Um... Just the actor that day had a really <laughs> bad day.
1: Uh, they're in Iceland, and he's just got the flu. It just <laughs> Plus, he sucks. shot up
0: heroin the night before. Oh yeah, it's a big mistake when Those you got the flu. Those child
1: stars, man. Those child stars. <laughs> um, Carl the asshole interrogates them, uh, finds out that uh, Bran is a Stark from Winterfell, and he's like, "Oh, my lucky day! I've got a bunch of highborn children I can ransom for money or whatever." Curly-haired haired
0: children too. He's all about the curls. Yeah, to-
1: totally creeping on Mira there. Mm-hmm. Totally creeping on it. Uh, and we're towards the end of the uh, recap because we have a mind-blowing part uh-huh. where the, for once, the show people get to be some the uh, privilege of something that the book readers don't even know. We go way, way north uh, to what's on the map labeled the Land of Always Winter. Mm-hmm. One of the White Walkers uh, riding a dead horse has got a baby in tow. A very cool effect on that ba- uh, dead horse, but he rides to this, uh, I'm going to call it, minus 60 degrees Morgul. Uh, he approaches an altar that has uh, about 10 ice spires around it, puts the baby there. 13 other apparently white walkers, dressed all in black, uh, approach. One in particular comes up, picks up the child, and as we said in the pod- the uh, Instant Take podcast, winterizes him. Mm-hmm. You've had a couple more days to think about this. What does this tell you as a non-book reader?
0: What like I did, said, the only what thing What do we learn
1: what did you learn that you did not know before
0: about White Walkers? Um, the big thing that this scene did for me is change my perspective on the White Walkers from one of a just lumbering sort of natural force into into a hierarchical society of some kind. I mean, you have the scouts going out, picking up the babies and bringing them back to an altar where what is clearly one of the, his superiors picks up the baby and winterizes him. I think that shows a structure and, and a thought, like an intelligence, to what I thought before was just a force. Right. I know they
1: the showrunners have said that they've tried to do other things to imply that there is a intelligence and culture, like the fact that they arrange bodies and patterns, and they have some kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. That that was to show that these weren't, like, just beasts or monsters. They they, they had some thought. Mm. What do you make of the, the vast visual d- difference between not just their facial... But, I mean, one looks like a guy's hat looks like a sack full of buttholes, <laughs> and one guy looks like Mm -hmm. relatively humanoid little little darth molly Mm -hmm. but not that wizened and
0: dried out what um are what what do you make of that there's a really good take in feedback on this and i don't want to spoil it i hope you have that one included in the the reading we will find out (laughs) yeah if not i will bring this up at the end but i don't want to jump on their on their feet there
1: okay um Again, I'd super exciting. I mean, I found out in that moment because I've always wondered what how I'd feel if the books if the show started spoiling the books. <laughs> and I didn't give a fuck. Yeah, I yeah. love this story and what I found out is that I don't mind if I get new information from the books or from the television shows or even from you know, if they had a world of Westeros and there's a little nugget in there new. I don't care where I get it. Uh and I don't know why that is. I'm kind of surprised that I'm that I guess disloyal to Martin's vision. Yeah. But there it is.
0: Well, okay, so the thing is this is not completely not Martin's vision, right? I mean, I I was reading an article somewhere okay, that said that's fair. that they have consulted with him and this is very much in keeping what with what he intended for the White Walkers and has not has maybe not written yet. I'm not sure how much of this is spoilery because I obviously haven't read the book, so I don't know if he hasn't written this or if it's just not shown yet. But it's they talked with him about it, and it's something that he gave the okay on. It's not like they're just making things up.
1: Yeah, apparently they, they have a very loose sketch of where things are going, or maybe it's not even that loose. Maybe it's a pretty tight, or maybe Martin – I don't know. I mean, maybe Martin has said – Here's kind of what's going to happen and here's in detail some vignettes that I know I'm going to include and why I'm going to include them and uh-huh. they decided to you know kind of pluck this this forward. I'm I'm kind of surprised that uh you know We haven't seen more about Martin saying because he's kind of been playing coy about, okay well, well, you know, I'm going to try to keep ahead of him, blah, blah, blah. But he had to know that they were going to surpass him in some ways this very season. Yeah. I'm very surprised that there wasn't more talk about that. Maybe I guess they just didn't want to do spoilers or some contractual thing. (laughs) I wonder how he feels about it.
0: Well, I hear that next week he actually has a video coming out 10 minutes long on the Purple Wedding what happened yeah <laughs> so maybe tune in for that he'll, maybe he'll that'll he'll enlighten five us.
1: seconds of new information <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh okay uh let's pay some bills and get into some feedback okay we are uh from baldmove.com, obviously jim and i we have a whole bunch of television uh material up there a whole bunch of podcasts a bunch of people helping us out Uh, We're pretty much entirely supported by our listeners, and there's a couple ways you can support us. And if you're interested in doing so, you can go to BaldMove.com and click on our support uh, icon at the top of the screen, and it'll tell you all those ways. I'm going to highlight one now. Uh, Very easy way to do If you're shopping on Amazon anyway, go to Amazon.BaldMove.com. Before you go to Amazon, that'll take you to Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Amazon. And the the cool thing is, anything you buy on that session, we get a teeny cut of Jeff Bezos' profit. It doesn't cost you anything. There's no extra shipping, no handling, no bald move surcharge. It just sends love to us for free. I, I'm getting teared up thinking about it. <laughs> but that's one way to support us. There's lots of others. You can go to uh, baldmove.com. Again, check out that support page to see what all you can do. Um, also, I'm going to spotlight one of our shows, uh, Personal Arrogance. Uh, they are, speaking of personal, personal friends of Jim and I. Two cool dudes living in Seattle. Uh, one's a master brewery at a, a brewery in uh, Port Townsend. One is a media communicator, organizer, director for Starbucks Coffee. They're both raging geeks. Talk a lot about boards, uh, board games, uh, authoritatively on beer, on pop culture. They're very funny. Uh, if you like us, I'm pretty sure you'll like them. Check them out, personalarrogance.com. Not personal arrogance.com. <laughs> Baldmove.com, the personal arrogance show on Ballmove. move. Uh that's it for pimping this week. We'll move on to feedback. Frank K H wanted email. Um let's sh- actually skip that. I don't know why. uh Frank it's, H is a bitch. It's too much, too much sucking our dick. Um Harrell says Bran is now the rightful Lord of Winterfell under the laws of Westeros. And in a scenario where he and Rickon are known to be alive, the male child of Tyrion and Sansa would not be heir to Winterfell because the line of succession would run as follows. Children of Bran who can no longer have children, then Rickon, then children of Rickon, sons before daughters, then Sansa and her heirs. I've noticed that book readers and show watchers alike keep falling into the same trap of believing that there is a right to succession by conquest in Westeros When that has never been established, GRRM has never acknowledged such a right. King Robert did not become king simply because he defeated Rhaegar. If you take a look at the Targaryen family tree, you'll see that Robert Baratheon is legitimately the next in line. This point is referenced by Ned in Season 1, Episode 2, and it responds to Robert's assertion that it should have been you, you, Ned, to rule as king by reminding Robert that he had the best claim. That's true, the Baratheons have some ties to Targaryen lines. However... Um, I don't know that I believe that there is no right by to succession by conquest. I'm pretty sure might makes right.
0: It has to. I mean, yeah. who's going to stop you?
1: Um, And then they kind of make, I mean...
0: Th- I went cross-eyed halfway through that when there were 18 names listed. <laughs> I couldn't follow them all. I'm sorry.
1: Well, the, I think the best re- refutation is it used to be called the Seven Kingdoms, then some asshole called Aegon the Conqueror, rode over to Westeros on his dragons, <laughs> and now it's one kingdom ruled by the Iron Throne. So, yeah. right a Conquest, be damned. It It's, you know, if you can keep it and you can hold it, then you win. Um, as far as the... It's, we- it's weird. I can never get the lines of succession in real life with Britain, which I guess this is based on. They've got some separate one in Dorne that there's some book issues to deal with later on. Um... I don't know that I can keep it all straight, but I believe you when you say it, Harold. And, uh, also, I'd, obviously it, it plays into the fact that they can't have Brandon and, and Rick and run around there and the Lannisters get what they want. As far as getting the North under their name, you just want to move on. Don't I, you? I'm,
0: compl- I was lost from the first word. Yeah. <laughs> Tack
1: L says the title of, Oh, He's the name game player. Okay. We're going to play some more exhaustive name. Bra- uh, wait, wait, gamers. wait. I've got
0: one. Okay. The sword. The, which <laughs> one though?
1: There are so many. Um, the title of this episode is a little ironic, but there's a lot of Oath Keepers in this world. The Oath Keepers are the sword that Jamie gave Brienne, mm-hmm. Jon Snow reminding Sam of keeping their oaths.
0: Okay. Solid.
1: Mm-hmm. Brienne keeping her oath to Catelyn by protecting Sansa. Very solid. She's literally an Oath Keeper. Mm-hmm. Craster's promise to the White Walkers was carried on when they offered up the baby.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: All right. That's, that's actually uh, still solid. Really horrible oath, but yes, you're right. Hey, man's got to keep his word, or what else <laughs> is he? Jamie surprisingly not letting Tyrion free because that would be breaking his oath as a Lord Commander. Oof. Still solid. Mm-hmm. He's, got, he's got five solid ones. He goes on to the Oath Breakers. The men at Cra- uh, Craster's Keep, mm-hmm. Littlefinger, who served the Lannisters and now serves the Tyrells, Locke, who intends to take the Black so he could join Jon Snow, going to Craster's, then specifically breaking the oath once he finds Bran. Um, as a side note, what is up with Grey Worm with the way he said kill the Masters? Then Daenerys suddenly appears on the screen. It gave me the impression that he wanted to kill all the Masters, even their <laughs> queen. <laughs> uh... It's you and my secret, Maybe... Miss Endy. <laughs>
0: Maybe that was just an awkward cut. I hope
1: <laughs> Danny's like, What now? Oh no, she teach me good.
0: <laughs> Kill the masters.
1: Kill the masters. Fuck the queen. <laughs> Him and the hound would get on famously. Uh, Jenna from Brooklyn said, First time emailing in, don't really have much to say, but like to coin the phrase white crawler for that awesome <laughs> white walker baby at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you finally got you've been agitating for years mm-hmm. on our Walking Dead podcast, podcast that you want to see a zombie baby. Do you yeah. feel like you got a zombie baby? No.
0: No, I don't. I feel like I got uh frost baby. Like it's it's very What's different. The if difference? it was if it had immediately like decayed into the walker who brought him up north. All right. Sure. Yeah. All right. Total zombie baby, but eh, not okay. so much.
1: Uh, Mark, you e said the suits of AMC are probably pissed The Walking Dead got one upped on this one. Game of Thrones <laughs> has a murderous tween, raping bandits, cannibals, and a zombie baby. It's just not fair. <laughs> the question on my mind what is Locke's plan? As we see him leave Castle Black, Locke was going to take his oath as a brother of the Night's Watch. Now, he very well may have been oppressed by Jon Snow and his Papa Mormon speech, but the dude is there for a specific reason, and he is aware that his target, Brandon Stark, is north of the wall. Shit's going to get real, and that's before we take into account the mutineers and their skull goblet-drinking tyrant. The Boltons in our career are pretty much the least ethical people in all imagined history, but I have to wonder, would Locke actually become a deserter of the Night's Watch? Oh, I think so. Well, I mean, the only way that has teeth is if a northern lord finds you and beheads you for being a deserter, but right now, Roose Bolton is the lord of the north,
0: so... (laughs) So, unless he... He's no longer Lord of the North, and people find out about what Locke's possibly going to do. It's ballsy that he used his real name,
1: though. Mm, I mean, yeah, yeah. granted, he made up a complete fictitious backstory, uh-huh. but I thought it was kind of ballsy that he didn't take a pseudonym.
0: Yeah, that makes me actually wonder if he's not going to try to capture John and bring him back, or at least extract information out of him. Um, although, at this point, John and and uh, Bran might end up in the same place anyway. So,
1: Would Roos be above just stabbing him in the back when he comes back for his thousand acres and lordship? Or stabbing Locke in
0: the back? Yeah. Ooh.
1: Because that would also neatly tidy up the problem. Hey, you're a deserter, dick.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know a lot about Roos, I feel. Okay. All
1: I need to know, my friend, is the Roos is loose. <laughs> God. forever forever you can't pay you can't pin him up all right uh <laughs> let's see if i have okay donald markey moving on to michael l yes the leader of the mutineers at crasher's keep is played by burn gorman who did indeed play dr gottlieb in pacific rim he also played owen harper in torchwood and can currently be seen as major hewlett in amc's turn
0: see none of those
1: he also played the love interest with cerebral palsy and there's something about mary mm-hmm. i remember
0: so again wow. not known for his badass roles not particularly no although maybe in turn he's kind of badass that is potential
1: he could be I, and i've heard a lot of good stuff about that
0: oh you have i've never heard nothing about I've it i've heard so.
1: that uh it kind of you know people had hell on wheels expectations and it's been hell on wheels plus so i don't know okay. where that rates as far as what we cover uh-huh. um, but yeah i'm i'm definitely want to see setting it in the setting sounded interesting yeah, I love the Revolutionary War. Period. Yeah,
0: like a colonial spy drama.
1: That time where the country was kind of divided. That we still were fucking Englishmen. All right, people are not yeah, interested yeah. in this. Yeah, this is not the Revolutionary <laughs> War cast. No, that comes on next week. Uh, Mister Rock and Rock says, "FYI, Craster boasted to Commander Mormon about having ninety-nine sons, not counting Gilly's baby." Okay so 99 that, walkers that implies that uh the walker ranks have swelled to at least 99
0: That's tough to kill them him. and so. they, they
1: do so i mean you know unless you stab with a bit of uh obsidian glass then they yeah. just completely fucking disintegrate yeah severe weakness there All i'm saying hazen sweet d says i can't believe you guys didn't mention or notice the guys washing out used condoms when Ugh, i didn't notice this neither did i this seems disgusting I can't believe you guys didn't mention or notice the guys washing out used condoms when Sam takes Gilly to Moletown. They do a pan shot. I don't know the right term of what looks like a stable or something. There's two guys in the foreground doing something. When you look closely, they're rinsing out used prophylactics. Ugh. Are we sure they weren't stuffing sausage? I, 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 I didn't I, see it, so I don't know. We're going to have to go back and watch this now because yeah. I got to see these, these, con, these condoms. Morbid washers.
0: fascination.
1: Besides the obvious revolting thought that this triggered, we were also wondering if Sam would consider that decent, honest work for Gilly, which was left pottering what was worse, being a whore mole town or being a medieval jizz mopper. Mm. Uh I would prefer mopping jizz to uh taking random strangers, use prophylactics inside my vagoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's me.
0: I, I could yeah, I can get on that bus. Sure. I,
1: I I will clean I will clean an ocean of of semen before <laughs> i'll let one of those dudes push up a used condom inside me thank you very much uh nice catch there Hayes Sweetie. let's move on <laughs> sheem have a question why was kill the masters written in english on the wall when no one in the city speaks that language for all they know it could have said kill the queen or hodor lives i did the queen of thorns take a piece of marjorie's necklace to show us her sleight of hand i watched the episode in slow-mo and it looks like she did She's just a kleptomaniac, is the problem. That she actually wasn't implicated in the poison plot at all. Yep. Uh, I think they wrote that in English because if they would written it in some fancy made up language, Jim would have stroked out, and we needed two co hosts. Could on have been, show. but if they
0: subtitle it, I mean, all they had to do was show some marks on the right, wall. like, Star Wars, Wars has their basic,
1: it. which is just a bunch of fucking gibberish. Yeah, and it's cool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if I if I see somebody look at something written in blood and then act horrifically, I'm gonna pretty i am I'm gonna say it's not like a universal sign of brotherhood. And then if they <laughs> immediately pan up to the uh Targaryen sigil over the Great Harpy, I could make those connections. And then a whole
0: bunch of slaves coming out of the corridors. Yeah.
1: Um let's move on to Enver M. Did Jamie give Brienne his sword? When he picked it up it looked smaller and shorter like the widow's whale. It probably wasn't because that's not his to give but what happens mm-hmm. to Widow's Whale now? Does Tommen get dibs? At well, first glance, it appears Jamie is sending Brienne on a mission as being noble and holding on to his promise, but on second thought, I wonder if he's got ulterior motives, i.e. killing two birds with a stone kind of thing. He captures Sansa for Cersei to get back at her good graces, and at the same time, getting rid of the troublesome
0: Brienne. Troublesome? I don't know that Brienne's been troublesome, though. Has yeah, she? Yeah, he's
1: kind of... Uh, uh...
0: In that he's got... So the Hots for her? Kind of switched over her into
1: her and Cersei's lane. Caused problems with him and Cersei, maybe. Okay,
0: maybe. maybe. Uh, I think absolutely 100% he gives her his sword. Yeah. I, uh, there's no doubting that. She yeah. says Valyrian steel. That's the only other well, Valyrian steel Widow's sword. Widow's whale is also Valyrian's. He's They're wondering if he didn't give
1: him Joffrey's shitty little sword other than his. No,
0: I think that goes to Tommen.
1: Yeah, I would think so, too. So, yeah. Plus, I don't think... You know, Jamie might rape his sister, but he's not up going to steal his son's sword. Come on. What no. kind of god do you think <laughs> he is? God damn. Uh, I think that's... We consider that. Madeline M. says, here's my theory on old Jamie boy and his issues. Maybe the reason why they showed heroic Jamie one week, then morally corrupt Jamie the next week, then heroic Jamie again is to show his internal struggle about who he was and who he wants to be. Hmm. When Jamie is around his sister... He struggles more with being who he is ousted to be, almost as if he falls back in his old habits. Okay. Also, both of the Jamie Cersei sex scenes we've seen, Jamie has performed his most heinous crimes, rape and intended attempted murder of a child. <laughs> True. On the other hand, when he is with Brienne, we see his tr- struggle to be the best he can be. He tries to honor his oaths and live up to her expectations of him. He has redeemed himself with the viewer in scenes with Brienne. So maybe Cersei is really the corrupt part of Jaime, and Brienne is the heroic part of Jaime. And that is what the Double Ds are trying to convey with all this flip-flopping.
0: Interesting. I kind of like that. I mean, it it shapes him up as kind of a fickle person, I guess. Or kind of like he has got, he doesn't, you know,
1: his mother died when he was young, Mm -hmm. giving birth to Tyrion. So he's never really been able to develop secure attachment with women, so he's a, like a woman pleaser. Could be. Like he completely subsumes what he wants to be
0: to be what they want him to be. Yeah, I mean it certainly seems like his personality has changed, uh, depending on which one he's with. I think she's really onto something there. Hmm. Um Something about this I can't
1: articulate why, but something about this this theory bothers me and kind of like I've, uh like 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 it it's sort of in I like it, but it also sort of implies that maybe some of this is Cersei's fault, which is uncomfortable for me. <laughs> a little
0: victim blamey. Uh yeah, I mean she has certainly not been the nicest character in the show.
1: Um but anyway, yeah, it's like I said, it's it's solid thematically, but there's still something a little unsatisfying. Uh, about that as well. Hmm. Uh, John H said, I don't think we have to speculate about Cersei's reaction to the incident with Jamie because we have evidence of how she reacts to a traumatic sexual experience in the first season. She was foolish enough to think that she could love Robert before he basically used her when he was a, in a drunken stupor. And how did she respond to this? She basically shuts down emotionally and turns into an ice cold bitch. So, it's no surprise she does the same thing to Jamie and their scene together. What else is she supposed to do? Queen Regent or not, she isn't in a position to do anything about it. All she can do is turn up the bitch meter to 11 and pour another drink. That's kind of my take on it.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. She can't really say anything about it, right? No. I mean, I mean, what, what's going to happen if she does?
1: Yeah, again, it's like the thing again, you got the dual problem of. You judge to act by our modern sensibilities, but you also then have to contextualize the character's yeah. actions. It's like, you know, you're, you it'd be super stupid to say, well, Cersei should have gone to the police and got and showed up at the hospital and got a rape kit done. Yeah, yeah. That would not fly in Westeros. None mm, the least. No. They don't have police they don't have rape kits.
0: <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. So
1: you can't say that, but I think there's a line between you can call a spade a spade of Jamie, but then also then understand fall out of that and it be realistic as far as the setting and time which again i'm kind of on the fence about that being a realistic depiction of how a woman in cersei's position who is specifically cersei would react to that experience mm-hmm. nathan p said one line in particular from sansa and Baelish's conversation really struck me it was something like this you haven't killed anyone not yet this made me think, Sansa Stark really has managed to survive a whole year without murdering a soul, despite being surrounded by killers, manipulators, and the god-awful Shea. While normal society, this sort of murderous mentality is frowned upon, Arya is one of the most supported characters. I always cheer when she fights back. In contrast to this, Sansa represents a kind of moral, or mental, resilience, as though she won't let this world destroy her, but some people still view her as boring. In the long run, we can assume that Arya will become a badass assassin, just give her a title like the Wolf of the North, but what I really want to see is Sansa learning to manipulate Westeros like her mentor, Baelish, the master manipulator of Westeros.
0: He's definitely taking her under his wing, Uh, and I feel like that's you know partially instigated by the the closeness he felt, the love he felt for Catelyn, Mm -hmm. Um, and also that she is such an innocent, nice girl Mm -hmm. uh, who's in really horrible circumstances.
1: Yeah, maybe he feels like he's gotten her young enough. He can remake her in his own image. Um, Yeah. I do think that I was one of the ones guilty of saying that Sansa was boring. I thought, you know, she's annoying. She arguably directly led to Ned's death. (laughs) Um, She seems to be getting to be much interesting in a character. That scene of her in a ship is a different Sansa than we've ever seen before. Oh, yeah. I think it's someone that's finally... Given up waiting to be rescued and deciding she's going to have to, you know, pull up her pants and decide, start learning how this world really works. Like uh, the whole true knight bullshit and, you know, people doing things out of love and respect for each other is not the way this world works. So I'm going to start trying to figure out how it really works. And that I think is really interesting. Anything else before we move on to Sam from Chi-Town? Nope, let's go. I could be completely wrong, but I think it's uh, it was led to believe that the White Walkers are legitimate gods of the show world. It's hmm. said that the babies were given as a sacrifice to the gods, and other than the fire vagina baby, this is the only true manifestation of gods we've seen on screen. With that said, your common instant take of GRR Martin saying that there are no absolutes in the series of good versus evil, this must be true as well for the gods, and showing this side of the Walkers as paternal figures could be that. Uh, I don't, it depends. Do you think the Red God is real in this world?
0: I think certainly Melisandre's magic is real. That is a subtle distinction. Would you care to elaborate? Um, do do I think that there's a physical manifestation of the Red God? Is that what you're asking me? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: There's an intelligence, an entity ad- identified himself as the Red oh. God, as, R- as, as Hm. or R'hllor, however you pronounce it. Do you think that the old d- gods of the Starks are real?
0: I, I don't feel like we've seen anything in this show that would lead me to believe that there is, that there has to be an intelligence behind those gods. Okay. Um... <clears throat> Melisandre seems to be wielding, at least, at the very least, some kind of force, some spiritual right. force of some kind. As but you said, magic. doesn't necessarily have to be an intelligence behind it. Right.
1: No. It could just be another elemental force that we don't Just like understand. Yeah, the it could, White Walkers, I, like, 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 I thought like they were. Someone could harness electricity back in the olden days. They might have the god of electricity. That doesn't mean that there is necessarily god that governs the flow of electrons.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, but it also, like, the change in my perception of the White Walkers this episode makes it feel more like maybe there are some entities behind uh, these forces. Because um, I viewed the White Walkers much in the same way. Hmm. So maybe, but we haven't seen anything like that yet.
1: Right. Uh, Eric W. says the show has dealt with the constraints of germs, GRRMs, literary choices for four seasons now. They've had to come up with some creative ways to show viewers exactly what's going on inside characters' heads with varying degrees of success. I think this is the first time we're seeing the exact opposite happen. Because of the POV nature of the writing style, it would be problematic to show this on the page. GRRM can't exactly write a chapter from the POV of another, but the show can show it. I don't think it's spoiler content from books six or seven, but rather bonus content from one to five that happened off the page. That's an interesting take Hmm. that this is just stuff that George R. Martin can't show would be on the cutting room floor, but he wanted us to assume that would happen. Yeah. Unless he had the POV of the baby, which would be kind of a Uh, fast POV of a newborn baby would be (laughs) kind of fascinating. I don't know how you write that. It's kind of like the chapter of the sound and fury that was written by the idiot. It's this is like all stream of consciousness and nothing really kind of makes sense. It's very visual huh. and symbolic. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. That's a good point because I, you don't know this because you don't read the books. But each chapter is a is a particular character's point of view, and they always are labeled like Sansa or Daenerys or huh. Tyrion, and some okay. some of the uh, you know, like like Peter Baelish does not have a PO view. Or point of view. Huh. He's always seen through other characters' actions. So unless they had an other, and and that's kind of something that is a raging debate amongst book viewers, will we ever have a POV from the other? Mm-hmm. Or from, you know, this other side of it? Um, It would be impossible to show what really goes on up there. Yeah. That's all we got, man. Oh, uh it's okay. It's time for the spoiler section where we play 30 seconds of music and then get real, so it's time for you to GTFO. Okay. Uh, next week we'll be talking about episode five, and we will be back on Sunday about an hour after the show concludes on Eastern time, uh, with the instant take podcast out and released for your enjoyment. And then of course on Tuesday, we will be back for the full cast. If you want to give us feedback in the meantime, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Also you can in touch with us on Facebook.com/baldmove or on Twitter at baldmove. Uh, we're gonna let Jim go, and I'll see you guys on the other side of the spoiler wall. Until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See
0: you later. All
1: right, everybody, welcome back to the spoiler section of our podcast. Got a lot to talk about, not as much feedback on the spoilers as I thought we'd get, but uh, I still got some exciting things to talk about anyway. First off, let's get one thing out of the way. It really did my heart good to see in a week so filled, especially after last week it was filled with real controversy, I thought there would be a lot of outrage about the fact that we got new information from the show versus the books. I'd say that's probably 90% people thrilled with new information, didn't care where they got it, and 10% so far are people that are mildly outraged that the show jumped past George R. R. Martin. But mostly people held their shit and were pretty uh, fair and balanced about it. I think it helped that we got to see Sir Pounce. I think most people, when they talked about aging Tommen up and seeing Tommen being much older, that we just have figured that we wouldn't get to see Sir Pounce. Uh, even though he's on the screen for just a couple seconds, I did my heart good to see him. And a lot of other book readers, I'm sure, uh, were appropriately squealy when they saw him. I heard a, uh interview with, I believe, the, the, the writer, uh, Gorman, say that they will do not plan on having him again because apparently cats are a giant pain in the asses to work with. They're complete divas. Uh, they don't take their marks. They don't take direction well. Uh, blows my mind. But uh, the fact that we got to saw him once, yeah, sure, we're not going to see his epic fight against uh, Balerion, but, uh, you know, it was still a nice touch that they threw in there. We got the pounce that was promised long foretold ago. All right, let's get to a couple of emails. First off, Jeffrey T says, "Do you think Cold Hands will be included in the show, or do you think that he will be reabsorbed into another character?" I think that we are not going to see Cold Hands. I think that Cold Hands is going to be completely his role as guide for Bran uh, to the Last Green Seer is going to be completely replaced by Bran receiving visions, uh, either green dreams from Jojen. Uh, green dreams himself or be able to uh, jack into the weirwood.net to directly talk to the last green seer and he will no longer need cold hands to guide him in. And I don't think he need cold hands for protection either, because I feel like between summer and Hodor with possibly brand warging into Hodor in the full warrior mode that uh, he'll be able to take care of himself. Point two, will the undead Catelyn Stark make an appearance this season? Do you think she'll be the final cut shot in the season similar to her being the epilogue of Storm of Swords? Yes. Actually, I feel like that's the exact position they're going to put her in. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I feel like Brienne's Sansa search is going to take the rest of the season and is going to wind up there. Two... Lady Stoneheart's something that you can't really use a lot cuz she's not in the books a lot. She's a lot like the White Walkers. I was just having this conversation with someone on Facebook that you know, she's this character that serves a very particular purpose for a very particular character so far, and she's kind of out there being a menace to others and we don't really know what her in-game is. So The real maximum effect she would have is that punch at the end of an episode and especially one at the end of the season. And then we might not see her again uh, for next season until maybe we get to a season after that. I really don't know. Um, I wish the winds of winter would come out. So we'd see what the hell happens next with her and Jamie and Lady Stone, uh, Brienne and Jamie and Lady Stoneheart. But I can't make George R.R. write any faster. Uh, moving on to Je- uh, Janine S. Says, okay, many of us believe uh, that the novice with the bum leg we see at the Quiet Isle in Book 5 is Sandor Clegane, but how does that square away at the story from the monk that he buried Sandor that he died in his arms? I'm also uh, all about Gregor as Robert Strong, although I think quibern could have chosen a better name. Robert? Really? I'm sure Cersei appreciated that one. Hmm. Good point on that. I don't that I never even considered that point as far as the hound I think uh and I thought I was thinking about making making this one of the tin foil theories and I might get a, a, around to it that's one let me scroll down and make sure that is on my to-do list um yes it is uh but I think if you go and read those texts you'll see that it's pretty clear that when the brother is speaking of Sandor dying or the hound dying And being put at peace, and his, you know, it's it's phrased in words as if that aspect of his life is 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 over with and dying and dead. Um, In fact, he speaks of himself. If you read about his former life as a warrior, he talks about that he died on the field that day, and now he's this other character. Clearly, he's not dead. He's not a white. So I feel like it's it's made, uh, you know, it's a pretty strong case to make that the grave digger on the quiet isles is Sandor Clegane. And that is the, you know, one of the tinfoilest of all tinfoil theories of the Clegane K- 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 Klan- bowl that both brothers back from the quote unquote dead. Robert Strong as a champion for Cersei um, will fight who the Faith nominates for their champion, which will be Gregor or Sandor Clegane from the Quiet Isle. And Sandor will finally get what he's always wanted, which is to kill his brother again, <laughs> assuming his brother is some undead creation. Um, moving on to Javon W about for about four hours after the episode aired, HBO had a description of the episode. And at the end, it said that the Knights King picks up a child and touches him and the child's eyes turn blue. And he sends a screenshot, which I have seen hours later. The description was changed to simply saying a white Walker. However, it should be noticed that Darth was wearing black. In case you forgot the story of the Knights King, he was a Lord commander of the Knights watch in relation to Brandon, the builder who constructed the wall and the. Affected when he was in love with a woman with skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars, perhaps as the little girl seen in Episode 1 and Bran's vision from Episode 3. He loved her through though her skin was cold as ice, and when he gave a seed to her, he gave her a soul as well. He brought her to the Night Fort and bound the brothers of the Night's Watch to his will through sorcery. We actually talked about this in the second episode, um, the, considering the Roose Bolton slash vampire slash Night's King's son theory. Um, and it's compelling. And the fact that HBO had this posted and then take, take it down to me is a smoking gun that they intended this to be the night's King. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Put a pin in that for a minute. Let's, well, cause I want to talk about this kind of on masse at the end. Doug L says, George Martin has always said he'd eventually explain the causes of Westeros long irregular seasons. It's always assumed that the walkers appeared out of the snow, bringing with them the long winter and that the seasons have been distorted ever since. However, that explanation made a little more sense when the walkers were a purely supernatural force, a byproduct of the winter rather than its cause. Here, however, we see that the walkers are simply mortal men who have been transformed. This suggests the origin is something else. With that in mind, here is my tinfoil hat theory. The Old Gods of the North and Rylor are the only two religions that have been shown to get any results. Melisandre often speaks of Rylor having a dark opposing force, Perhaps the children of the forest under siege by the first men called upon the power of the old gods to turn some of their enemies into the walkers and thereby attempt to turn the tide of the war against them. In the process, perhaps they simply got more than they bargained for. All right. So let's talk about what we just saw. The last two emails I've kind of touched on this with Javon and Doug here. Let's talk about what the hell we just saw. First off, you know, the Knights King. It was confirmed by HBO. There's also a lot of things that people on Reddit were talking about, um, and that I'd noticed before that this was confirmed and then taken back. But we noticed that he uh what we know about the Knights King is that he's the thirteenth commander of the Night's Watch and he ruled for thirteen years. He appeared with thirteen White Walkers. So I think there's just some 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 symbolic ties there already from a filmmaking and kind of structure standpoint. Um I don't think the show watchers, they've ever even mentioned the Night's King before. So what all we know about it comes from book lore and largely comes from a story that Nan, Old Nan told Bran in, that he recalled in A Storm of Swords. According to Old Nan, he was a Stark. He was made an other, presumably by a female other that he fell in love with. He used sorcery to bind his brothers the Night's Watch to his will. He and the Queen ruled from the Nightfort. Jor-min, uh, of the Wildlings, the king beyond the wall, and the Stark of Winterfell, when they were still kings of the north, joined forces to defeat the Night's King. So, what if the others are literally first men transformed by winter magic? That's something that I think uh, our two emailers here mentioned. Uh, what if the White Walkers are actually uh, Starks? If the Night's King was a Stark, and he's kind of their leader now, and he's form this whole race of others. Uh, you know, I think it's a mistake to say that the white walkers can only grow their numbers through assimilation of human babies. Because if you believe the Knights King tale, that he actually had intercourse with one of the other women uh, and gave her his seed, which as I talked about in the Roos Bolton, the the Roose is loose bolt on theory, that implies to me that children were got from this situation. You know, the way that they phrased, you know, giving her her his seed rather than just, you know, having sex and that transformed him. Uh one of the other th- thoughts that have come out in the last week or two with Reddit is okay, a lot of this stuff is mentioned as happening eight thousand years ago. And the Lord's commanders are famously supposed to, you know, Gior was the nine hundred and ninety-seventh night uh Lord Commander. Jon Snow, when he gets elected, is will be the nine hundred and ninety eighth Lord Commander with some symbolic, you know, people think that there's some symbolic um, significance to the 999th and 1000th, that that's going to tie somehow into the fulfillment of some of these various prophecies, whatever. But also in the book, we see that Sam, in the most complete listing that he could find throughout the, the Night's Watch archives, could only account for some 600 Lord's Commander. And also, what we know of our own human mythology Is we just tend when things get, you know, before recorded history and at the dawn of recorded history, when things happened a long time ago, they just happened a long ass time ago. You know, it's always like 6,000 years or 7,000 years, 8,000 years. We could be talking about, you know, if you buy into the flood uh, mythology. That there was a real flood that happened in human history that was significant enough to get a flood mythology going in a lot of the world's religions and in various, various parts of the world. Um, that still could have happened like twenty thirty thousand 30,000 years ago. Some plain of Africa flooded or whatever. Um, but the Bible says it happened between six and 7,000 years ago. The uh, epic of Gilgamesh says something else. This 8,000 years... Just could have been a couple thousand years ago, or even a couple hundred years ago. Uh, well, probably longer than that. But you see what I'm saying? It, not necessarily. When we're talking about eight thousand years and a thousand Lords of Commander, it doesn't necessarily make all that real. It could just be myth. It could be the way they understand their own history. So some of this stuff is just kind of un unreliable. So. What if we go with the Knight's King being something like that? That it happened a long time ago, and people kind of forgotten what really happened. Stories have been told. Uh, you know, we've we've had different things happen. The Andal invasion has happened since then. The the uh, you know the, the, the Red God uh, has has been influencing Westeros for a little bit since then. You know, the first men, the children of the forest have shrank away and become near mythological feature, uh, creatures. We've got this giant wall that's unlike anything that's been built before or after in Westeros. Yes, they say Brand the Builder also built Winterfell, and yes, he built Storm's End. Those are castles that could conceivably be built by human hands. They're nothing mystical. It's not like a 700-foot-wide giant ice wall that spans the entire fucking continent and oh by the way has magical abilities to keep whites from crossing it that is a level of construction that we've never really seen anybody even from the age of heroes build so one of these theories is that there, what we understand about the knight's king and what we understand of the wall is totally wrong what if the Knight's King is not a random horror tale? Uh, what if it's an explanation of how the war against others was won? So the this alternate tale basically postulates that the Knight's King could have actually been a a hero or a peacebreaker or a peace um, bringer between the men and the others, and the children of forest kind of somehow fit in there as well. Uh, and that the others themselves raised the magic wall to demark a border between where their world and their lands begin and end and where the men's world begins and ends. And there was a knight's king that was, you know, like many times where peace gets forged in Westeros, you had one side marry another side, that you had a king in the north, the Starks, uh, married one of the others and ruled at the uh, night fort, and kind of like you know it was it was, a, it was a joint supervision of this weird demarcation line between north and south. Uh, and then later that story gets corrupted, and that he's some evil figure. That kind of makes sense, and also neatly explains why there's this giant magical ice wall in the north. The other interpretation is the story of the last hero that's related by old Nan. Um, it ends with the others closing around the last hero who's defenseless, but it never talks about how he fought or defeated or conquered him. The th- that theory goes that the last hero basically wasn't a warrior that conquered the others and drove him off. He was a diplomat that forged peace. And again, this peace could have then later led to one of the Starks being married to the other and... You know, that that feeds into the the knight's King story as well. Um, but I think that's kind of interesting, too. So if there is, you know, and, and we know that there's also a precedent for there to be some peace treaty between humans and supernatural creatures in Westeros. Because the first men and the children, after a long and bitter war, came to terms and agreed to a, a peace treaty where... The men wouldn't cut down their weirwood, and it would leave the forest, the dark forest to the children, and the men could have the fields and the rivers and the valleys, and they uh, and, and the, the men would also adopt the gods and kind of get in uh, communion there, and that they would live in peace from that point forward. So it's not like that this ever uh, hasn't happened before. It could be that the others felt like they needed this wall to protect them from men and protect them from some of this fire magic. Uh, that they were scared of, stuff that we see now uh, with the faith of R'hllor. Uh, it could be that they foresaw a time when men would get a hold of dragons, and they that's natural enemies, so they wanted a big-ass wall to protect themselves from that. Um, and then we see for thousands and thousands of years, basically, the others fulfilled their side of the agreement. They stayed north of the wall, and they didn't come back down. But in recent time, we've seen that there's a big uh, swelling Wildling population growing in the north. We see that the Night's Watch, uh, you know, even though they're decreased in numbers, they've been sending rangers out. Um, it could be that the White Walkers feel threatened by the increase in wildlings. There's a hundred thousand of them now, and they're concerned with these men being in their territories. And they're coming down and they're killing a few as a warning. They're kill a few uh, of the Night's Watchmen as a warning. Uh, we see that happen in the prologue of a Game of Thrones, and what does the night watch do? They respond by the largest ranging that 's happened in living mystery in history, and they 're utterly crushed by the white walkers. but again, the white walkers just don 't after that they just don't come flood the wall and it 's almost like the Cuban Missile Crisis where there's all these provocations on both sides of, of, of this war, but each other, they think they're innocent. It's like, you know, I'm just reacting to this thing that you're doing. I'm just reacting to this thing you're doing. There's not an all-out war. In fact, both sides don't really want that. But they're misinterpreting each other's reactions and it's going to eventually lead to a war. You know, the White Walkers we see have an advanced civilization. We see there's a red comet in the sky of Westeros. Maybe they, just like the see, have the prophecy of azor High and the prince that was promised and their various heroes maybe they got corresponding ones on their side of the wall they see that red comet they think the dragons have returned to earth which is one of their uh you'd think would be one of their mortal enemies uh maybe they have a an evil version of the prince's promise not an evil version a negative version where they're worried about a person like danny uh coming over with dragons and uh, she, we, we see in some of the books that she has dreams. In fact, I'm going to quote one here, uh, from the second Daenerys chapter in A Storm of Swords. That night she dreamed she was Rhaegar riding through the trident, but she is mounted on a dragon, not a horse. When she saw the usurper's rebel host cross the river, they were all armored in ice, but she bathed them in dragon fire and they melted away like dew and turned the trident into a torrent. Some small part of her knew that this was a dream, but another part exulted. This is how it was meant to be. The other was a nightmare, and only now I have awakened. She could be fighting the usurpers in her head, but this, you know, uh, people armored all in ice sounds an awful lot like some descriptions of the others we've read, too. So if she's having these dreams and these visions, uh, what if the others are up there having these nightmares about Danny coming and, and killing them all? Maybe they're militarizing for a war. Uh, what did the Night's Watch just just do? They killed off Craster, who it seems has been one of the prime men still offering tribute to them and still allowing them to, uh, if we say they can only reproduce this asexual way, still allowing them to swell their ranks. You know, the, other, the last war that was fought, once men figured out that they were vulnerable to uh, dragon steel, which some people think is Valerian steel and obsidian it's really damn easy to make obsidian bows and arrows. They could have decimated the others and had them on death's door. Maybe it's taken this long for them to grow their numbers enough that they feel like that they can protect themselves. And now they got the comet in the sky. They've got their own prophecies. Again, a lot of this stuff is just making it. This is what makes it very tinfoily. There's not a lot of real concrete evidence. It's a reimagining of evidence we got and filling in the blanks with what we know about white walker culture which is almost nothing in fact we probably doubled our sum total of white walker knowledge with the last five minutes of this episode of game of thrones so it's something to consider uh what this means now there's a, some other people that think that john snow will if, if you subscribe to the knight's king not being necessarily an evil character that Jon Snow will become a knight's King and uh, somehow oppose Danny and bring kind of balance to the world. Again, going back to the theory that there is this peace agreement and there's a balance between summer and winter. There's a balance between the world of men and the world of magic um, with, with the others being on that one, one side of the divide. That he can oppose Danny, and he can be the ice to her fire. Maybe they get married as a union and they renew this peace agreement and that's the way the book ends. It does sometimes feel like, you know, John, Danny, and Tyrion dragoning up and defeating the others in one fell swoop feels a lot, a lot about, you know, the elves and men joining forces to defeat Sauron and J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. We know that George Martin, not necessarily a big fan of that approach, at least for his works. Would it make more sense that there is some kind of cosmic balance in the balance and that Jon and Danny are going to work together, you know, in his role as the Night's King or in his role as a Stark and his role as the First Men who possibly are related to the others, uh, forging that peace with the Targaryens, which are kind of the anti-Starks. Talk about the Lannisters being anti-Starks, but Targaryens are anti-Starks. They have Beast of Fire. The Starks warg into beasts of the North. Uh, you know, they, the, the Targaryens like things hot, the Starks like things cold, uh, their natural contrast there. So anyway, um, that's the town of tinfoil we had this week. I thought there'd be a lot more lively discussion about what this meant for us and our understanding as, uh, of the white walkers, but HBO's slip of the Knights King kind of put a kibosh in a lot of that discussion. And, uh, again, I want to talk about this alternate theory of the white walkers building the wall, and that being a demarcation a zone between the first men and the others that's now being trampled upon. Uh, curious to see what you think of that. This is a pretty new uh, tinfoil theory. Uh, if you can think of any passages in the book that can support this or things we've seen in the series that might hint to, uh, for this to be uh, for this to be coming true, I'd like to hear about it. You can send that in to me at Game of thrones at BaldMove.com. Again, hope you uh, have enjoyed the spoiler section this week, and I will see you next time, next Tuesday. Take care.